Hey guys, welcome to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I appreciate you guys connecting every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. I want to give a special shout out to all of you who have taken the time to rate this podcast and to drop a comment. I really do appreciate it. It blesses my heart. Thank you so much. Today's episode is called Daddy Issues, and it has to do with the power of influence and impact that a father can potentially have over the life of his children. I'm blessed to be the father of two wonderful young men and the grandfather to two amazing grandkids. And my ultimate goal in life is to lead them to the father through the son. Yes, I am a believer. I am a man of faith. I am a Christ follower. I make no apologies for that. My focus is not that they would become popular, wealthy, or attend the best universities, or even land a dream job. My only focus is to live a life that will cause them to thirst and hunger after God. You see, I remember reading Ralph Waldo Emerson's work. He said, your actions speak so loudly that I can't hear what you say. I've come to understand that it really doesn't matter what I say, how I say it. What matters is that my actions line up with what I'm saying. Otherwise, what I'm saying is completely hypocritical. A few months ago during our Thanksgiving celebration, our whole family got together at our home. And I can recall Daniel, my youngest son, who happened to be seven at the time, he uh, recited uh, Psalm 150. And then right after that, my grandson, my oldest grandson, who happened to be four at the time, he offered to recite John 3.16. Can I just tell you that I was the proudest dad slash grandpa? <laughs> I was so excited. I was, I can't even tell you, I was beside myself as I watched and heard them recite with such strength and such, so much power. Every father has his proud moment. Some get all excited over, you know, uh, their son scoring or their daughter uh, at the recital. Some get excited because their kid can can floss or, you know, that they're really good at playing some kind of a video game. Well, I get all excited when I see that my kids are walking in the truth. I feel just like the Apostle John who said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So today's episode does focus primarily on dads, but that doesn't mean that I'm underestimating the power of moms. Women become moms the moment that they find out that they're expecting. Men become dads the moment that they carry the baby. That's when it hits them. (laughs) The power of a dad in a child's life is unmatched. One hug from dad is worth 20 kisses from mom. Who we are as dads speaks of who our children will become in the future. You see, your son, dads, if you're listening, (laughs) your son will become like you. Your daughter will end up marrying someone similar to you. Men have the power to impact their children, either for good or for bad. Your words, your words either bless them or they curse them. You have the power to lift them up or to tear them down. You can either fill them with hope or inundate their minds And hearts with despair. You see, Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life that you and your children may live. 
See, this verse reminds us on a daily basis that it's all about choosing. Whatever your choice is, Dad, whatever you choose for your children, that will direct the course of their life. As a father, you must have the mindset that being a father is your most important ministry. You know, it really doesn't matter how successful you are outside of your home. It doesn't matter how many people look up to you if you're a total bum in your own home. Your first ministry, your first responsibility is your family. The greatest test for a leader is being able to lead his own family. It really doesn't matter how many accolades or accomplishments you have outside the home. What matters is what you do inside the home. That is the greatest test, being able to lead your own family. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he's older, he won't depart from it. It's important to note that the scripture says, train up a child, not an adolescent or a young adult. It is train up a child in the way that he should go. And why a child? Because the most formative years, as I've mentioned before in other podcasts, the most formative years of a child's life is zero through 11. You have such a small window of opportunity to impact their lives and to train them up. From zero through 11, you are the trainer. You are the coach. You tell them what to do, and usually they will follow through. You tell them to Stand up, they'll stand up. Sit down, they'll sit down. Walk, walk, run, run. Hop, skip, jump, whatever you ask them to do. Most of the time, they will do it. Because this is a time when they are the most moldable, pliable, easily formed. Now, once they hit the age of 12 all the way through 18, you become the counselor. You're no longer the coach. You're no longer the trainer. You are the counselor. So you go up to your daughter and you say things like, you know, honey, perhaps if you wore different clothes, you would look a little more mm, decent. <laughs> or you tell your son, you know, maybe if you opened up that book and studied, perhaps your grades would be a little better. So you become more of a counselor. It's not a thus saith the Lord kind of thing. It's not whatever I say goes because now they have a mind of their own. So you suggest you counsel Now, if you have done a great job at being the coach and the counselor, then by the time they turn 19 through the rest of their lives, you become their advisor. They feel comfortable enough in their relationship with you. They've connected uh, for 18, 19 years now with you that they they feel like they can go to you for advice. So you no longer suggest, you no longer tell. They come to you and they say things like, hey, dad, Can I have a few minutes with you? I just need your advice on some of the things that I'm wanting to do in my life. When that happens, if that happens, you should give yourself a pat on the back and let yourself know that you have done an outstanding job at being a dad. And before you can train them up, you must first connect to their hearts. You see, you can't lead someone by the hand if you haven't earned their hearts. This is key. There are three questions that a child, actually that any individual asks subconsciously before allowing themselves to be led by someone. And these three questions that are asked within the subconscious mind happen in a split second. In a split second, we do this scan of the other individual and we ask three questions. The questions are, do you care for me? Can I trust you? 
and can you help me? Those are the three questions. When you come into contact with somebody for the very first time, subconsciously after scanning them visually, you ask those three questions. Do you care for me? Can I trust you? And can you help me? And if the answer is affirmative for all three of those questions, then you allow yourself, you open up enough to connect with the other individual and allow them to lead you. So think about it. You as a father, and this is a this is actually a principle that can be applied to any uh, area of life. You as a leader, as a dad, as a coworker, as a friend, whatever you do, the three questions that people ask about you is, do you care for me? Can I trust you? And can you help me? If the answer is negative, then you can forget about people opening up and allowing you to lead them. They won't. But if you are genuine in your approach, and if you are truly willing to help other people, if you show that you care, if you show that you can be trusted, well then, they will connect to your heart and allow you to lead them by the hand. I mean, think about the people that Jesus healed. The people that Jesus healed, you know, they probably asked the same questions about him. Do you care for me? Can I trust you? And can you help me? And when he took the time to approach them and to relieve them from their pain, from their suffering, do you notice what every one of those people did? They got up, healed, and they followed him because they knew that he cared. They knew he could be trusted. They knew he could help them. So those three questions are great to reflect on and to ask yourself at the end of the day, is my character, my personality, my lifestyle, does it convey to other people, especially my own family, my children, does it convey a sense of trust, care, and that I can help them? If you yourself are a man of faith, a father who is trying to train up their children in the way of the word, in God's word, well, let me tell you that it's really hard for a young man or a young lady to accept that there is a God who is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient when their own earthly father is a scumbag, (laughs) in all honesty. Come on. I have met a lot of young people who have questioned the very existence of God or or they have questioned the love of God for them simply because they had such a bad experience with their own earthly father. Our example as parents can cause our children to draw close to God or simply run away from Him because their hearts are so incredulous. Their hearts and minds have become hardened and tainted simply because of the experience that they had growing up in their own households. It's hard for them to believe that there is a Heavenly Father that can love them unconditionally when they never heard their own earthly father say, son or daughter, I love you, or never felt the Father's embrace. I've coached many young people, a lot of young people suffering from anxiety, depression, and my heart breaks when I hear them say that. They can't remember the last time that they heard their father say, I love you, or the last time that they were embraced by their father's arms. My heart breaks for them. A father's words can bring healing into the life of a child, or even a young man, a young lady. 
whatever we speak over our children, 80% of the time will, will come to fruition. It will become their truth, their reality, because our words are prophetic. Have you ever heard of the Chinese bamboo tree? Now, you've probably seen a bamboo tree, but the Chinese bamboo tree has a particularity. You see, when the gardener plants the seed, it takes five years. Yes, five whole years, 60 months for that seed to sprout, to break the ground. So it takes a very a very special gardener, a very patient one, because every day he has to go out and water the seed. He has to pull the weeds. He has to fertilize. He has to constantly cultivate the seed for five whole years. And for five whole years, he sees nothing, no change, no transformation, no evidence of growth. But diligently, he goes out every day to weed, to water, to fertilize, to weed, to water, to fertilize. And after 60 months, there is a sign of life. The seed sprouts, breaks the ground, and the evidence is about half an inch to one inch in length. The Chinese bamboo tree took five years to break the ground, but <laughs> it gets even better. So hold on. You're probably thinking, gosh, I wouldn't be able to cultivate a Chinese bamboo tree and wait for five whole years. I want a tree that I can microwave, man. Just put it in the microwave and boom, it sprouts. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it may have taken five years to break the ground, but in the next six weeks, a miracle happens. In six weeks, that Chinese bamboo tree that took 60 months to break the ground grows 80 feet. <laughs> yes, 80 feet. That's as tall as a six-story building. That's an average of about close to an inch per hour. In other words, as soon as it sprouts, if you come back 12 hours later, that thing is about 12 to 13 inches tall. So the question is, when exactly did the Chinese bamboo tree start growing? Did it grow on the fifth year or did it start growing the moment it was planted? Well, the answer is it started growing when it was planted. Yes, the moment that it was planted and watered, the Chinese bamboo tree started to develop a root system. It was growing inward, inward, deep and wide, deep and wide roots. It was growing a system that would anchor to the ground and sustain such a tall tree. So what does this have to do with training up a child? Well, let me tell you, your words are like seeds. And although you may not see the effects of what you tell your children, you will eventually see that seeds sprout, grow, and become a mindset, become a thought pattern or a paradigm that will either promote or demote, edify or destroy. Those seeds are there. Every day we plant those seeds. With our words, we water those seeds. We cultivate. And eventually those seeds grow and become the child's destination in life. So avoid telling your child what he will become based on what you see in the natural or based on your own childhood traumas, your fears, your failures, your hurts, and your hangups. If you sow seeds of defeat in the hearts of your children, don't expect them to walk in victory. 
sow seeds of neglect in their life and watch them seek someone else's attention. You're going to have to reframe your own mind before you frame their minds. Becoming self-aware of your own paradigms, thought patterns, your fears, is going to be exponentially important if you want to impact the lives of your kids. You see, you're going to have to heal from your own wounds, otherwise you will pass the pain on to them, and that will become their reality something they didn't even experience growing up, but you did, you can easily pass those experiences on to them, whether they're fears or paradigms. So you're going to have to be extra cautious and careful, realizing that you're dealing with your own demons from the past. You're going to have to kick them out of your mind. Otherwise, you're just going to pass them on to your children. I can't say this enough. Our words are powerful. Our words shape minds. Our words create destinies. Our words are prophetic. They become a child's reality. Many years ago, a study was done at one of the maximum security prisons in uh, California. The male inmates were asked if at one point in time in their childhood, their dads had ever told them that they would end up in prison someday. And 85% of them said yes, that their parents, their dads had told them at one point in time repeatedly that they would end up in prison someday, and that became their reality. And although I was shocked by this survey, what really surprised me the most is that they went on to explain that there were uh, different groups within the prison. They had the African-American group, they had the Latino group, the Asian group, and the white group, and the Jewish group. They said that all of the groups were pretty congruent in size, however the Jewish group was a handful. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of the other ones, but the Jewish group was just a handful of men. It was a small group. So they went on to conclude that the difference was, or the defining factor, was the fact that in the Jewish culture, the father blesses the children on a daily basis. So not one day goes by that the father doesn't stop and bless their children, showing them their love, speaking God's word over their life. And therefore, it is quite difficult for a child in a Jewish community, in a Jewish family, to grow up and become a criminal. And this is how powerful our words are. There are three things that kids need from their father. They need words of affirmation, You see, the Bible says that the tongue has the power to bring life or death. So they need to be affirmed and reaffirmed through our words. They also need physical touch. We see throughout the Bible how Jesus reached out his hand and healed people. You see, the hand was never meant to strike. The hand was always meant to convey a sense of peace, a sense of healing, a sense of help. Physical touch is important. And number three, kids need active love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So there you have it. Words of affirmation, physical touch, and active love. Because keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, it's so much more difficult for a child to develop a relationship with the Heavenly Father when there is no apparent relationship with the earthly father. You see, oftentimes children will use their father's relationship as a frame of reference through which they see God the Father. 
Years ago, I read a story about a pretty popular boxer back from the 90s. His name was James Tony. They called him James Lights Out <laughs> Tony. I mean, this guy had a powerful punch. If you got in the ring with him, you would not survive. I mean, this guy was undefeated. He was powerful. But at one point, he was interviewed by one of the sports magazines, and they were wanting to know where he got his strength, you know, where his passion came from, why he seemed so focused. They wanted to know the, the secret recipe. They wanted to know what his secret was. And so he went on to say, he said, I fight with anger. He said, my dad, he did my mom wrong. He left us. He beat my mother up all the time. He shot my mom, left her with a mark on her leg. He made my mom work two jobs, and he just left his responsibilities behind. I can never forget that. Everything is about that. I look at my opponent, and I see my dad. So I have to take him out. I have to kill him. Now, this guy was 29 when he was being interviewed. His father had left him when he was seven. 22 years later, and this guy is still harboring anger, resentment, and so much unresolved pain. A lot of people let their history define their destiny. I want to encourage you. I hope you're not like James Lights Out Tony. I hope you didn't have to suffer what he went through. But I'm sure that 85% of the people listening to this podcast today have unresolved childhood issues. Becoming self-aware of what those issues are and willingly letting go of them, whether repenting or forgiving, whatever your process looks like, going before the Lord and asking Him to heal you is going to be crucial for your own development Let's be honest. Come on, you've heard me say this before if you've listened to previous episodes. You can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know. And you can't lead your children to a place that you've never been to before. It starts with you, my friend. The Bible says that children are like arrows in the hands of a skilled warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with such arrows. The Bible likens children to arrows as he likens fathers to skilled warriors. And so you have got to become a skilled warrior if you are planning on those arrows hitting the mark when they are shot out into God's destiny for their lives. You see, a skilled warrior will always choose the finest wood, the strongest arrowhead, the best materials. A skilled warrior understands that he cannot produce something that he himself is not. And therefore, he works on refining himself so that he can reproduce who he is in the life of his children. A skilled warrior understands that he himself must first be a disciple before he can even become a teacher. Because you can't raise your child to become someone that you are not. A skilled warrior takes his time to fashion that arrow so that when it is shot out into life, into God's destiny, that it will always hit the mark. A skilled warrior understands that dad's example is going to influence the molding and the shaping of such arrows. I remember when I was a lot younger and my oldest son back in the day, he was probably about seven years old, seven or eight years old. He's now 28. But I remember that I was in the mirror shaving and he was watching me. 
as I was looking through the mirror, I could see in him who I used to be. But as he was looking into the mirror, he was seeing who he soon would become. I was looking in the mirror and looking at the past. And as he looked at me in the mirror, he was gazing into the future. We teach, my friends, through example. Your kids should see you worship, pray, repent, study God's word. And above all, the key to developing, to raising great warriors is allowing your children to see how much you love their mother. This is how you raise emotionally intelligent children. Now, some dads are legalistic dads. In other words, they are full of rules. All the kid ever hears is, you can't, don't, stop, you won't. (laughs) Just a bunch of negatives. Actually, it's been said that by the time a child is 17 years of age, he has heard, no, you can't, 150,000 times versus, yes, you can, only 5,000 times. So yes, some dads can be all about rules and regulations, legalistic, especially if they are religious. It's more about religion than relationship. And so when you have rules without a relationship, children end up becoming rebellious. And then you have the the counterpart. You have the parent who's all about relationship. Everything is about having fun, uh, no rules and uh, permissiveness. Do whatever you want. Come home at whatever time. Let me get you a cell phone at age 10 and and put the World Wide Web at your hands, at your fingertips, and do whatever you want, you know? It's all about having fun. It's, it's the dad who wants to be the kid's, uh, you know, BFF or, you know, their, their buddy. And they don't want to step up to the plate and be a dad. And so there you have a dad who is all about relationship with no rules. And so that ends up in aggression because the moment that the child gets out of hand and starts to cause problems at school or in the community, and you try to pull in the reins, then the kid becomes aggressive, and then you have the absent dad. You know, he's the one who uh, is either absent because he's never home and he's always at work or with his friends, you know, or, or simply absent because they're at home and they're on their phones or they're watching TV or they're doing other things, maybe work-related, but they're never really there to make eye contact with the child and to listen, to connect, to establish a relationship. So the absent parent, what they produce is a child who's desperate, frustrated, fill, filled with despair. You know, it's, it, it's never quality over quantity. That's a big lie. It's quality and quantity together. And then the last one is the parent who really knows what they're doing. It's the dad who has a fine balance between rules and relationship. That ends up in blessings. So that's the one that you should shoot for, is having your set rules, your, your, your boundaries, but also establishing a relationship. Remember what I said. You know, kids will ask those three questions about you before connecting to your heart. You know, you have to be genuine. You, you have to be open. You have to seek to connect to their hearts before being able to lead them by the hand. Children have four basic needs. Number one is obviously love. And I'm talking about unconditional love. I'm not talking about a love that says, oh, I love you when they bring home good grades. And when they don't, you don't say anything. And so they start to learn that your love is conditioned to a certain type of behavior or to uh, living up to certain stands or, or expectations. So your love has to be unconditional. It has to be an agape kind of love. It's the kind of love that God shows us despite you know our shortcomings. He continues to love us. And then number two is security. And when I, when I say security, uh, security is divided into four parts. It is physical security, is feeling safe around you physically, uh, emotional security, 
uh, mental security and a spiritual security. And so, and, and of course, we can add on financial security as well as they grow older. But uh, so love security, number three is purpose. Uh, purpose, children need purpose. And, and that can be as simple as, you know, allowing uh, your children to take part or partake in certain chores in the house. That will give them a sense of purpose within the home. And last but not least, it's acceptance. Every child wants to feel accepted every time. And just like unconditional love, it should be unconditional acceptance. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble they got into. They should feel accepted. You are the dad. They should feel protected by you. I want to end this episode with a Bible verse and somewhat of a metaphor. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Now, let me tell you, as a marathon runner that I am, I know that wearing the lightest clothing, the lightest shoes, is going to help me run a better race. And what this verse is saying is that we should observe those things that slow us down, that hold us back, especially the things like sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. Now, the metaphor that I want to use is that of a relay race. Now, you know, or some of you know, the rules uh, in relay racing. You know that there is an element called a baton that is passed from one runner to another. Uh, you know, and I was watching the Olympic Games back a few years ago, watching the relay races. And uh, those runners who are able to pass on the baton effectively and efficiently in a timely way, you can tell how... Uh, that makes them feel. It, it, it fills them with a sense of pride and victory, just the fact that they're able to connect that baton onto the, to the next runner. But, but then I've also seen runners that have dropped the baton right before passing on to the next runner. And you can tell how frustrated and how upset and how, how big of a failure they feel because they have trained for years, literally years. What they train most is of course, running fast, but they also train in passing on the baton. Believe it or not, it is a difficult thing to do. Passing on the baton and not crossing the line. And, and there are so many rules that they have to follow. And so placing that baton while running and the, the two runners are running uh, at different speeds and passing it on without dropping it is quite the feat. Now, how does that, or what does that have to do with, with our life as, as parents, as dads? Well, you are the holder of the baton. And that baton represents so many things. It represents what you are inevitably passing on to your children. And that baton should represent the spiritual inheritance that you're passing on. And some of you are holding on to the baton and are ready to pass it on. And you will 
successfully pass on the baton because you have stripped away all of those things that weigh you down, that slow you down, and the things that entangle your feet and trip you up. You've been able to do that, spiritually speaking. So therefore, you'll be able to pass on the baton, but some of you are carrying a heaviness on your shoulders. You have sin that has wrapped itself around your ankles and is tripping you up. And eventually, you're going to drop the baton, or maybe you've already dropped the baton, and your children are waiting for it, and they will never get it. Unless you're able to do as David said, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any iniquity within me. And once you do that during your time of meditation and reflection and God shows you, then start removing those things that weigh you down, those things that trip you up and that keep you from holding on to the baton and passing it on effectively onto the next generation. My friend, do not drop the baton. Make sure that you're able to pass on the baton to the next generation. And if you've dropped the baton already, the good news is God lets you pick it up again. So make sure that you remove the heaviness, the things that weigh you down, the sin that causes you to trip, that trips you up along the way so that you can pick up the baton and pass it on to the next generation. You can do this. It's in you. Let go of the past. Press on to what is ahead and don't look back. Pass on the baton. God bless you.